what we're supposed to do as churches is teach what? Wisdom and discernment. And when we make a mistake, what we should do is what? Own up to them. We should own up to and them. For, and we have to repent, right? And like, repent. Yes, if, we, if we expect that of the members of the church, then as leadership and as the church as a whole, we need to model Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Salty Pastor Podcast, a podcast that focuses on coaching you in the growth of your faith. Our world is struggling to find peace in the midst of all this chaos, direction in the midst of all this aimlessness and purpose in the midst of no meaning. We're challenging everyone to take time to think about the point and purpose of your life, and then you will know what you believe and why you believe it. This leads to a stronger faith, and this is how you find peace, hope, and love in this world. My name is Jesse Mayer, and I've got my chain smoker voice on today, and uh, <laughs> we, I'll be your host, but we can't do this without the one, the only, the Salty pastor himself, Dr. Douglas Peak. Well, welcome everyone today. And if you're listening on Thursday, happy Thanksgiving. Happy if, Thanksgiving. Uh, if you're listening to it later, I hope you had a happy Thanksgiving and it was a good time. Thanksgiving is such a unique American holiday. It's a, it's a great celebration. What's really interesting to me is like, like all things, you know, the original and uh, kind of intent of it has changed a little bit. A lot of people are not aware that the pilgrims on that first Thanksgiving, it actually wasn't a giving of thanks. It was just a time to celebrate a harvest. But what people don't realize is that for the first two or three years of the pilgrims' uh, uh, immigration to America and they set up the colony there, uh, they a lot of them starved to death. You know, 50% of them starved to death in the first year. And then in the ensuing couple of years, they would send more pilgrims or more people over to come to the colony, and they wouldn't be provisioned properly. So even though they had this bountiful harvest, what happened is shortly thereafter, they got a bunch of more uh, colonists to come over who were poorly provisioned. So then they immediately went to half rations, mm. right? In order to survive that, and then and then gone. So, but it wasn't until uh, uh, twenty three, three years later, uh, sixteen twenty three, three years later, when they actually had the first Thanksgiving, and this is where they thanked God for delivering them be- from this pilgrimage. And mm. the reason we call them pilgrims is because they were on a pilgrimage. pilgrimage right? Going from one place to another in order to discover something new. And so I think that that's a great day on which to end our study of kingdom come and the war that's going on between these two kingdoms. Yeah. Over the last few weeks, we've been gaining a big picture view of the kingdom of God. And it's not really possible to understand the kingdom of God unless you also understand the spiritual war that's also going on as part of that kingdom. There are multiple, there are two kingdoms Mm -hmm. at war and you can't really understand the kingdom of God without understanding that it's at war with another kingdom, Mm -hmm. the the one here on earth. And so on Tuesday's podcast, you showed the new, that the new Testament teaches that we should grow strong and mature in our faith. We want to pump you up in your faith. (laughs) That's right. And if we don't grow strong and mature, the end result is that we are vulnerable and weak. Yes. What are the things we're vulnerable to pastor? If we're, (laughs) if we're not mature and strong in our faith, what are we what are we vulnerable to? What realities are out there that people believe and are having um, difficulty facing? Well, I think, you know, some of the truths that are kind of hard to accept and a lot of people in America who have a nominal faith don't want to believe it. But the first truth is that Islam is at war with Christianity and Islam is at war with, you know, Jehovah, the God of the scriptures. And 
they are particularly at war with Jesus as Lord and Savior, and they talk about Jesus all the time. He's mentioned in the Quran, right? Like yes. They, they, they acknowledge that he existed, that he was, I think they qualify him as a prophet, right? He's yes. just not the final one that they care Correct. about. Correct. And so I think that's something, that was something I learned when I went with Pastor Harv to Israel was, oh, there's actually a lot of, not, I don't, I want to say similarities, but like some core beliefs that mm-hmm. do transfer across, but that's probably part of the reason. It's similar to, this is way, way simplified. <laughs> so do not take this, but you know how brothers and sisters fight because yeah. they are similar in a lot of ways yeah that I, I see that as kind of transferring on a much larger way worse scale yeah. but because there are similarities it gets into this idea of like well no ours is right because blank blank and blank well, yeah well no, ours and is right. yeah you can get people people with from america and other forms with nominal christianity you know make some assumptions that are immature it's like like when little kids go out and they play with older kids you know they just assume they're playing, but what do you always tell the older kids? You got to be careful because you're going to hurt the little kids because right. they don't know, they don't, they don't understand. And a lot of people understand is that Islam is at war with Christianity, and it's at war with J- Jesus because we believe that Jesus is God, and that offends them. Uh, that offends all Muslims because Muhammad is the, the last prophet of God. And so what, when people convert Muslims, what they do, one of the approaches to convert Muslims is that you, you show them that they don't worship Allah, they actually worship Muhammad. Okay. And when they, when they realize that's what they're doing, then they're open to, that's why Jesus is the Messiah. And right. so it's really quite fascinating. Because, and, and this all comes together, is that our war is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and principalities of this dark world. And the doctrine of Islam is to conquer and force everyone to submit to Islam. And I talked a little bit about that on Sunday, is that there are only three designations of land here on the face of the earth. And, and if, it, if land is not under Islamic control, then it is required in the Hadith, and the, these are the writings and sayings of Muhammad, to be conquered and to be forced to submit to Allah or to Islam. Okay. When, um, when someone out today is chanting, uh, from the river to the sea, Palestine will be free. I've heard that a lot just recently, you know, what, what sea are they talking about and what river are they talking about? Well, if you're in Israel, they're talking about the River Jordan, right, and the Mediterranean Sea. So what they are saying specifically means to purge all Jews, not just the nation of Israel, but all Jews from the river to the sea. They not only want to get rid of just the political nation of Israel, they want to ethnically cleanse all Jews from that land. So when someone says from the river to the sea, Palestine will be free, it is a genocidal ethnic cleansing motto. And in, Christ, in, in the doctrine of Islam, their goal is to force everyone to submit to Islam. And in order to do that, they know we have to eradicate Christianity. And when you look at what is the feeling, you know, Pew Research has done a lot of, a lot of uh, investigation on how Muslims all across the globe feel about Christianity. And the overwhelming position of all Muslims throughout the world is that 
Christianity is evil and must be eradicated. Okay, so there, there's there's no coexisting with this, right? You can't coexist with with that, and you know there has to be an understanding that in Islam there is no doctrine of tolerance. The doctrine of tolerance only exists in Christianity. The doctrine of tolerance does not exist in Hinduism at all. It exists only in Christianity. The doctrine of uh, of uh, non-coercion, forcing people to believe, right, is only in Christianity. And even Christianity for a period of time, you know, 1,800 years ago. Charlemagne well, tried yeah, to. Yeah, Charlemagne, he tried to forcibly convert people too, but of course but that, that wasn't within what the Bible calls us to do, right? Correct, like, yeah. That, that was that was his. Yeah, it was corruption. So, but in the Quran, it specifically states that. It says you must fight against all those who will not accept uh, Islam. There's, there's no doctrine in Islam of freedom of choice. The, the Islam means to submit, right? So there's no, you know, there's, there is no appeal to Allah loves you. Come to a loving relationship with Allah. That doesn't exist. That's not it's, the thing. Allah's here. Submit or I will cut your head off. And that, that's what is taught. And in the Quran, it actually uses the term behead the infidels. And so you can't go in the New Testament and find anywhere it says behead the non-believers. It doesn't. Right. You know, the, the closest thing that you can get to the words of Jesus, of, of thing is he says, if you go to a city and they reject you in your preaching, shake the dust off your feet and go to a different village. <laughs> so, boy, that's... That's aggressive, isn't it? That's so aggressive. <laughs> you know, that's a, oh, you, you don't want to listen? That's a, that's I'm going elsewhere. That's a strongly worded Canadian email <laughs> yeah, is basically what that, that is. is there, yeah. That's funny right there. Um, so, so I think it's really important. There is no event in 1,300 years of recorded history where Islam did not expand through war, conquering, coercion, and force. Now, it's also important to understand this, why it's, we, we have to be mature, is we are not at war with people, individual Muslims, but with an ideology driven by a spirit of war and conquering. Therefore, we have to win on the spiritual front first, which then allows us to win on the ideological front. Many of the ideas that make Western civilization work come from Christianity, the doctrine of non-coercion, which is where we get the whole point of liberty. You mm -hmm. should have freedom to choose your own course, right? Your own, pursue your own happiness. You should have the freedom to do that or liberty. You should chart your life according to the, your, as your conscience dictates, kind of yeah. is the early principle. Uh, the doctrine of, of tolerance, the doctrine of justice equal under the law. These things are all Christian in their orientation. Love your neighbor as yourself. In other words, you should respect the other person. These are all Christian in their uh, origin and their influence filtered into Western civilization. Now, we must argue a strong defense for these principles. These principles do not exist in Islamic countries at all. You know, the, the whole notion that women are valuable and have an equal say and all this stuff uh, during the early suffrage movement was uniquely Christian in its orientation. 
in the 320 some representatives in the in the congress that voted for that were all men but the 90 percent of those men were all christians right see so the, these are unique that doesn't exist in islamic nations right at all so you know the hardest fact to face is that we must be physically prepared as well we we not only need to win the spiritual battle first but the ideological battle by arguing for the principles that have come from Christianity and filtered into our society and built our institutions, but also we have to be physically prepared as well. There's an old Latin phrase, I won't try to say it, from Rome, it says, if you want peace, prepare for war. Mm. And we are called to protect the innocent. God is a God of justice. Therefore, we must be prepared to stand firm against the schemes of the devil and one of those schemes is Islam. I think what you pointed out is one of the most important things and where people typically trip up when it comes to fighting against uh, things that aren't uh, laid out or things that we as Christians should be standing up for. So mm -hmm. whether that's um, gender identities, homosexuality, or Islam, people tend to immediately go, well, I need to go down the street to my neighbor and tell them that they're wrong and da 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 da, da right? Yeah. Like they mm -hmm. go to attack an individual versus, no, we're called to fight on the spiritual battlefield first. Then we fight the ideological. All the while, we are loving these people that have been led astray by the corruption of this world, right? Mm -hmm. And that's where we, ha we still speak truth, but we're not going out to fight somebody. It's the same thing that I've heard in so many uh conflict management courses I've taken and premarital things of that nature, you're never fighting your spouse or the other person. You're fighting the problem together. Like yeah. if you make it about the problem, not about the person, that's when you can really make change. It, as soon as you turn it into, it's about the person, then suddenly you've lost any grace or, or I don't want to say negotiating power, but really like ability to make a, a solid change in life. Right. Yeah. You've got to really focus, I think, on the notion that I'm fighting an ideology here and I'm going to argue against the Id ideology. But I also realize the ideology presents itself in a human being. And at sometimes some human beings just have to be stopped. Right. Yeah. And so but that doesn't mean that all human beings that are affiliated with this ideology are that. Right. Uh, but only because I'm mature and wise and I can discern good from evil Would you know that? <laughs> with, that allows me to do that and yeah. not, you know, on the, you, you know, you, you know, we can't just uh, accept everything. That's crazy, but you can't go around, you know, judging everything, right? right. It, that we need people of wisdom and understanding. Absolutely. So talk to me a little bit about what we can do to be ready for this battle that is coming. Well, like I was just saying, you know, we need to develop that wisdom and that means we need to disciple, disciple, disciple. The more mature people are, the more they can discern good from evil. And that was a passage we studied on Tuesday, right? Is uh, our, our universities, got into this thing where they adopted critical theory, right? And as you know, it comes from the Frankfurt School of Critical Social Theory, which is based on Marxism, mm. right? It was Marxism without the structure, so to speak. And, but what it does is it says, well, society is structured a certain way. All relationships within society are based on power and all power flows along identity, li identity lines. 
And so that has cropped up now. It, you know, there's ethnic or minority lines, right? They're ethnic lines. Either you're white or you're black or you're Asian or you're Hispanic, you're Latino, you're this. And then it's interesting now they've added sexuality lines, right? There's straight, you know, there's gay, there's lesbian, there's queer, there's transgendered, there's uh, bisexual, there's, and these are all different. And then gender, you know, male, female, fluid. So you right. have this matrix of all these different structures in society. And so what happens is uh, all these, uh, you know, I, I feel like in some ways it's very similar to the caste system in India, okay. which is all based on castes. The difference is, is that in India, they, they enforce the caste system and in America, they they take a caste system to divide everybody up, so they create a, a straw man that they want to go and tear down. Okay. Right. So it's like the boogeyman. Right. Okay. We got to tear down all of this stuff, and uh, this person's more oppressed than you, so you have to listen in to what they say and do what they want, which to me is just craziness. But so when terrorists show up on our college campuses over the last eight weeks, shouting, you know from the river to the sea, Palestine will be free when they, when they're actually, you know, screaming about homicidal massacre and genocide of Jewish people. Uh, since they embrace them as an oppressed group, our universities can't even say that what they're doing is wrong. You know, they can't even say, Hey, you guys, you know, what you're saying is wrong. You, you, at the very least, you would think that anybody with just a half an ounce of moral clarity in their life would say, look, these people have a right to state their position under free speech, but we strongly deny their homicidal tendencies and their anti-Semitism and their bigotry. And what they're doing is they're supporting a known terrorist group that has committed those the most egregious acts upon human beings. And every one of these college students should be ashamed of themselves. And if they're here on a visa, we're going to deport them and send them home. That's what should be happening from our college presidents. But our college presidents write letters and say, well, maybe they're sort of right and maybe not. I go, this is a dumpster fire of stupidity mm. because we have not matured people to even be able to make some of the most basic ethical determinations between good and evil. And that's why we, as followers of Christ, need to strengthen our own personal foundation, right? The barbarians aren't at the gate anymore. They're actually inside the camp. And we have to discern between good and evil. And this is primarily an ideological discernment. The, the way we fight the ideological battle is because we've trained our senses to discern good from evil. No one has trouble discerning the difference between good and evil behavior, right? If someone like goes up and punches somebody, you go, okay, that's wrong. doesn't matter what your ideological bent is, but... Uh, what happens, the real question is, ideologically, what is good versus evil? And on, like, for instance, this, on the surface, when you're, when you're in college, you know, communism sounds so altruistic, so fair, so humanitarian. Then you dig into it and you actually see how dehumanizing it really is. You know, uh, only people who have a strong foundation can discern it. Now, you remember Paul once said, Boasting is, is not profitable, but sometimes necessary. Yes. Yes. Well, let me do a little bit of that right now. And that <laughs> is, is that early on, one of the things that really put so salty pastor on the map is just very early on, 
we, I said, we've got to get this message out that this Black Lives Matter movement is not a good thing, right? You know, it is not a good thing at all. The and way that churches it's, yeah. were jumping on this bandwagon and posting, you know, all this stuff on their thing. And I said, guys, don't do that. You're going to regret it. Well, guess what? It turns out to be a massive regret. And what's so fascinating to me is this, is none of the churches that were doing that have come out and said, we repent. Not mm -hmm. one. They just ignore that they did it. And I'm like, yeah, I'm not a fan of that. Because what we're supposed to do as churches is teach what? Wisdom and discernment. And when we make a mistake, what we should do is what? Own up to them. We should own up to and them. Ask for, and we have to repent, right? And like, repent. Yes, if, they, we, if we expect that of the members of the church, then as leadership and as the church as a whole, we need to be modeling that, right? Yeah. And I, I remember there was a church plant here a number of years ago. And this is uh, early on, I think, when I think it was in 2016 right when Trump had just gotten elected or something, all these women, they had these women marches, right? Right. Okay. And there was a pastor and his family went down and marched in this women thing. And they plastered, they, he, he was planning a church here. And he was like, you know, marching for my girls and my wife and blah, blah, blah. We're so glad to support women and da, 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 da. Well, this women's march was you know, sponsored by a bunch of radical feminists. And while they were down there, they were like, you know, they wanted radical abortion on demand. They wanted radical this, radical, all that kind of stuff. And this poor pastor, man, just got barbecued for that. Because I saw that and I said, oh, don't do that. Don't do that. Don't do that. But, you know, he was young and he didn't know better, you know, and his church plant failed and he left, you know. And that's sad is that we need to discern good from evil. And the only way you do that is by training, training yourself. A lot of people are not aware of this, but the Lutheran church in World War II, uh, the, the main part of the Lutheran church was a national church. In other words, the government supported it through taxes, right? Paid all the pastors in it. So whoever was in charge of the government had a lot of influence. And when right. Adolf Hitler took over, what did he do? <laughs> he used his influence. He used his influence very heavily, right? But then within the national church was a smaller group called the Confessing Church. And they were like, we just confess the scriptures and we confess the, the, the solas, meaning the, uh, the only five points of the solas of the Reformation from Martin Luther. The problem was this is that the confessing church focused only on teaching the scriptures and the confession of the reformers, but they did not act to oppose what the national church or the Nazis were doing to non Aryans, not just Jews, but to everybody. They right. were doing it to elderly, to the handicapped, the mentally disabled, to Romanians, the gypsies, and to Jewish people. And so the confessing church wasn't doing that either. They were going along with it. The only person that really stood up to that, even within the confessing church, was Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And we're not talking about any of the leaders of the national church in Lutheranism or any people in the confessing church today. We're talking about Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And what he did is he was in England and he came back to Germany and started a seminary because he said, just saying you're a confessing church isn't enough. You have to do something about mm. it. 
You have to do something about it. And in the same way, we must first grow mature in the word and prayer, but we must be disciples because discipleship is more than just knowledge. It's taking what you know and acting on it. So we need to fight the spiritual battle first by knowing Jesus Christ and joining his kingdom. Then we need to grow to maturity in order to discern good from evil, which is part of the ideological battle. And then finally, we need to prepare, be prepared for a physical battle if it comes to our doors. So one of the things I've been concerned about is when we talk about battles and war, there's always people who will listen to a podcast or, an, or a sermon or whatever, and they will basically take that and say, well, the ends will justify the means. Because I heard this yeah. from, whether it's from you or from some other pastor or from some politician, they take it and basically run full steam ahead with it saying, well, we got to fix this no matter what the cost, right? Mm -hmm. How does discipleship not only strengthen us, but I think... You correct me if I'm wrong, it helps us keep good people from rationalizing bad behavior along the way. Well, that's exactly what it does, because discipleship trains you to discern good from evil. Do you remember when we were discussing the various uh, approaches to expanding the kingdom of God here on earth? Yeah, I don't it, was, know the, it was like yeah. pacifism, mm -hmm. I think. Yep. The yep. Benedict option. Yes. And then the dominion. Yeah. Dominion yeah. Yes. Theology. Also, I just found out this week from, uh, from, from a guy in our church, uh, theonomy is another word that they call, call it dominion theology. Pacifism is, well, we're not going to do anything. We're just going to be pacifists that kills that kills. So what, you know, at least we go to heaven. Uh, okay, that doesn't really, you know, stand up for justice in the world, you know, right. and a lot of innocent people, you know, suffer and die because of my unwillingness to do something. So I can't be a pacifist. I'm not a pacifist. And if anybody ever wonders if they're a pastor at Foothills Christian Church is a pacifist, the answer to that is absolutely not. Absolutely not. <laughs> you know, uh, the Benedict option is a retreat option, and that is build giant walls and hide behind them. Until it, everyone figures yeah. it out and then we Until they all out. like, you know, it's like a zombie apocalypse approach. Well, yeah. they're going to all, you know, eat each other, you know. Well, that works really well in a Western-based civilization, but it didn't work so well for all the Christians in North Africa. Right. And people go, well, how do you know that? Because there are no Christians in North Africa. Right. <laughs> you know, the Islam does not take that into account. Islam will not allow you to build high walls and hide behind them. They will right. turn them down and force you to convert or kill you. Mm -hmm. That's what they've done for 1,300 years. Uh, Dominion theology is, well, we should get the tanks and the planes and the guns, and we should take over and force everybody to be Christians, kind of the Charlemagne option. And I don't believe that's true either. Um, I lean towards what I call the salt and light theory. Ha ha, stole that from the Bible. <laughs> Plus, that's why I'm the salty pastor. Yep. See, we're not here to conquer by force. We're here to conquer through love, right? We have to create an environment to allow people to pursue their own thing. And if they reject God, they reject God. But I still got to live next to this person, right? So, you know, I, I don't want them, you know, coming over and doing things that, you know, hurt my family. Right. Mm, yeah. You know, they don't, you know, their, their freedom ends at the tip of my nose. You know, they can swing their arms all they want, but it, their freedom to do that ends at the tip of my nose. Right. Right. And so that's kind of that concept. And he goes, so the other side of it is I'm not going to let those people who are trying to conquer by force run over me and hurt my family or my people. I'm not going to let the guy, you know, down on the public street swing in his arms like a crazy person, you know, and if I have a, it used to be my kids, but now my kids are adults 
right? When I have grandkids, I'm not going to stand there and let this guy run over my grandkid. I'm not going to, if, if they're high on something, you know, they're, they're going to meet, you know, the wrath of God at the end of my five finger fist, right? <laughs> I'm going to lay him out. I'm sorry if that offends anybody, but that's how the salty pastor rolls. That's just, I have predetermined in my mind that I will do whatever it takes to protect my family from craziness or evil. Right. Okay. I've, I've chosen to do that. And so I don't know why that would offend people, but evidently it does. So uh, I, I think we have to understand the significance of maturity in this process. Maturity, discipleship, teaches you how to stand firm against the kingdom of this world, the devil. But you never forget that the devil can't... Cause see, I, I, this is really important. The devil first tries to get me through temptation or compromise or busyness or manipulation, right? But if he can't get me in any of those other ways, he'll just try and kill me. That's exactly what it will do. And he'll use another ideology or belief system that believes in killing to meet their ends, and they'll just run over me. Well, ability to know, discipleship teaches me the difference. That's called maturity. And that is, is that I have predetermined in my mind exactly what evil is, and when I will stand and confront it and I will stand my ground and I will not back down. I think that commitment to maturity of gives you a wisdom to, you can defend the weak, you can fight for justice, you can protect the innocent while at the same time making sure you don't become someone who abuses that power, That's right. who becomes a power hungry dictator yourself. You see that, that ideology of, you know, power corrupts and yes. absolute power corrupts yeah. Lord Acton. Right. Mm -hmm. And that, idea happens when you stop realizing ultimately you're some subject to God and you aren't the end all be all you need to be focused and be discipling most of those people once they lose themselves to the power they're not in their bible every day they're not doing their their work they're not spending time serving the kingdom at that point right like they've lost their way because they've inherited this much power mm -hmm. discipleship keeps you grounded and focused and 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 lets you learn how to be mature so that you have the wisdom to know what is right, what is wrong, defend the people that need defending, but not take advantage of those once you have the power to do so. Yeah. And I think that's very important. I, and I think that's what a lot of people are doing in our school systems right now. You know, they're saying, wait a second, you know, I, I'm not trying to pick a fight, but I, you can't be teaching this in a public school system. You know, some of these books, there's this whole conversation about book burning right now is, is all about, well, you guys just are trying to get rid of books. You're banning books, and that means you're bad. And I go, wait, wait a second. What, what books are, is trying to be banned? So I got a list of the books, and I went through them, and what they are, they're graphic novels, right? And they're pornographic. They, they have specific drawings of genitalia. And I don't know if you, any of my people in, in the audience have seen a graphic novel recently, but graphic novel, the artists are exceptionally good. They, these things are lifelike right? When you're seeing them, they're very realistic. And so they're, they're filled with profanity and sex advice. And I'm like, okay, is that what we want in my, my school when my, for elementary or middle school kids? No, I don't. And nobody should because that's sexualizing children. Right. And so people are showing up and saying, yeah, we're not going to stand for that. I think it's really important to, to be mature in our faith and know when to take a stand. Uh, I, I heard one preacher say recently, so many Christians today have been taught to just bow instead of stand up. Mm -hmm. And we need to start standing up more. We have to stand up in love. 
we have to stand up respectfully, but make no mistake about it. We will stand up and we will not back down. Many people are not aware how after World War II, communists were incredibly expansionist, right? They just took over a tremendous amount of territory. What They were simply reflecting whatever civilization had done prior to them. You conquer and you take over. And this is why what the United States did after World War II is so unique in history. They actually helped rebuild all the nations that went to war with us. We rebuilt Western Germany. We rebuilt Japan, right? And we rebuilt it in a way that they could become completely autonomous and even compete with us on the world market. We rebuilt Germany so they could build better cars than us and charge <laughs> us a ton to drive them, right? And then everybody wants to buy a Japanese electronic product, especially back in the 80s and 90s, you know? They were directly competing with us. The fact that the United States did this is 100% unheard of throughout human history. Where did this principle or idea come from? Where did it, where did it originate? It originated from Christianity. And that is so important to understand. Well, as we wrap up, Pastor, give me, give me kind of a brief synopsis of where you think our current events are leading us in the future. I know you're not uh, a future seer, but if you used your education and your understanding of what's going on, what would you um, give us as an idea for what's coming? Well, when you strip everything away down to its very core, every skirmish battle, terrorist act, war, conflict, uh, finds its root deep-seated in the battle between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of this world. That's where the conflict originates it, it, when you strip it all away. Satan is on a time clock. He knows it. So he is going kicking and screaming to destroy everything he can before the final judgment comes. And so we have to remember this, right? And we have to realize that we are on a pilgrimage through this life. And that reminds me of what we said at the beginning of this podcast is that the reason we celebrate Thanksgiving is because it was the benchmark of a pilgrimage. And when you go back and read William Bradford's statements about that first Thanksgiving in 1623, not the one in 1621, he actually says, we are having a day of prayer and Thanksgiving to God for deliverance, mm. for deliverance. We are in a pilgrimage we are in a pilgrimage of seeing God's kingdom battle with the kingdom of evil. There will be difficulties. There will be suffering. There will be pain. But in the end, God will deliver us. So our goal in the meantime is to grow as strong and mature as we possibly can so that we can navigate all of the challenges before us. Well, thank you, Pastor, for this amazing series. We're really excited to be heading into Christmas and our Christmas series, but I think having this really sobering look at what the kingdom is and what the real stakes are and that there is a war going on is really important too because we can be lied to and deceived, especially during Christmas time when yes. the world wants to make everything about gifts and all these other things, but really we're celebrating our Lord and Savior's birth. And I mm -hmm. think that's super important for us to be aware that even in something that seems as kind and, and gracious as Christmas, there's still a battle being waged. It's just yes. looks a little bit different. So thank you so much for sharing this with us. Thank you, our listeners, for joining us on Thanksgiving or the days after Thanksgiving. We hope you are having a blessed day and we'll see you next week here on the Salty Pastor Podcast. Blessings and happy Thanksgiving.